This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Communications are down. A lot of people from here can't communicate with people, loved ones in Punjab. Now on the news hour, growing concerns over civil rights and safety in India amid a widespread blackout and a statewide crackdown in Punjab. Plus, this is not your regular little tents that um, people are just camping out in. The environmental and safety issues putting another growing homeless encampment in Vancouver on the radar of local officials. And there's bags from McDonald's, bags from Burger King, bags from Starbucks. So I was like, guy comes to the door and I was like, this is not mine, I don't know what's happening. A first world nuisance delivered right to the doorstep of a new Westminster neighborhood. What's behind these dubious deliveries of food? And who's footing the bill? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with growing concerns for civil liberties and the safety of countless loved ones of British Columbians in the Punjab region of India this weekend. As a statewide crackdown continues with Internet and modes of communication down across the state tonight. Chris Dow joins us live in studio with details on this developing story in Punjab, where it is now early on Sunday morning. Krista. Well, Sarah, thousands of Canadians and their families remain in the dark tonight amid an internet blackout in the province of Punjab. There have been mass arrests after a so-called statewide crackdown, according to the Punjab government. Now, information is limited given the blackout, but according to reports, Indian security forces launched a widespread operation targeting youth Sikh activists like Bai Amripal Singh. And protests have erupted in support of Singh and other youth activists, many of whom have been outspoken in recent months, raising concern about the drug crisis in Punjab, water issues, and questioning the rights of the state, to name a few examples. A statement by the Punjab government says 78 people have been arrested so far, with several others detained for questioning. In some villages, there have been bans on gatherings of four people or more, and with limited communication, Canadians here tell us they're deeply concerned for their loved one's safety. What we're finding right now is a lot of um, information coming out. It's confusing. We can't get hold of loved ones in Punjab because the internet is down. The, uh, you know, India, like many other countries, uh, jumped you know straight to cell phones. There's not a lot of landlines, so it's extremely difficult to get hold of people. Uh, you know, Carl State itself, we have operations in India and it's been hard getting hold of our team. Basically, all of those things are leading to the Indian government today, over 100 police vehicles cordoned off where by Amrit Bhatt Singh was. Uh, we're still hearing, we don't know if he is arrested. Uh, the Indian government uh, continues to say that he is not arrested. But this is the same kind of tactic they've used in uh, decades past, where they set up fake police encounters by saying someone is on the run, uh, and they're already actually in custody. Now, Sarah, as for how long the blackout will last, it's reported internet will be restored in Punjab tomorrow at 12 p.m. in just under six hours' time. In the meantime, though, family here, no doubt, desperately waiting on word from their loved ones. 
and we'll continue uh, with our coverage on this in the meantime. Krista Dow, thank you so much. A small but apparently growing encampment in Vancouver's Vanier Park is now the focus of a safety review by Vancouver fire officials, the park board and police. That review is set to get underway next week. Paul Johnson now on a complex issue involving concerns around homelessness, public safety and the environment. Walking into the wooded portion of Kitsilano's Vanier Park, Elvira Lounce steers us to the years-old encampment here and points out the features that are particularly bothersome to her. Several propane tanks there by the garbage can. As far as Vancouver encampments go, this one offers all the usual sites, propane tanks, bike frames, general trash. But the builders of these structures also show a flair for landscape design. Check out the delightful little staircase down to the pond. This is not your regular little tents that um, people are just camping out in. Beyond the ambitious scope of the structures, it's their proximity to this that's really got Lounce bothered. A metal cone put in by bald eagle conservationists to offer habitat for nesting pairs. Lounce believes the encampment is likely to scare them off, and she feels no one has listened. They have not responded. The city or the park board have not responded to me personally. When we asked them, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner Scott Jensen said their goal is to make the parks accessible to everyone and that our colleagues on council have been working with senior levels of government to secure housing for the most vulnerable members of our community. But those are the kinds of things city leaders have been saying for years. And after last fall's electoral sweep by Ken Sims' ABC party, Lance thought things would be different. ABC has to come and do something about it. That's what they were elected for. Hello? Anybody home? As for the occupants, Steve told us there are currently two people living there, that they're safety-minded around the propane tanks and aren't doing drugs or having parties. If there's a plan to take his camp down, he says that would be a new thing as he's been here for five years and had no problems with city or park officials. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A city of Vancouver garbage truck is now damaged after part of its load caught fire on the downtown east side earlier today. It happened around 11 o'clock this morning as crews were picking up debris from another encampment in the 100 block of East Hastings. Some of that garbage sparked a fire which crews were quickly able to extinguish before anyone was injured. In Victoria, police are working to identify a suspect in an assault at a restaurant earlier this week. Police say the suspect, who was captured on surveillance footage, was verbally abusive to staff on Monday night after the establishment stopped serving him. When a patron asked the man to leave, he allegedly became enraged and punched the customer in the face before damaging an umbrella and taking off. The suspect was carrying a black bag with red piping. If you recognize him, call police. Well, the drama in municipal politics continues this weekend, this time in Kamloops, where the city's mayor and councillors are at loggerheads over drastic changes made within City Hall. The mayor calls the changes positive, but as Michael Reeve of CFJC News reports, not everyone agrees. Welcome. 
On Friday, Kamloops City Council fired back at Mayor Reed Hamer Jackson's council committee changes as a unified group of eight. Standing in front of Hamer Jackson's seat at the council table, Katie Newstater, flanked by her colleagues, responded to the changes. While we, all eight Kamloops City Councilors, would prefer to be performing the job that we've been elected to do by our citizens, we instead find ourselves again combating the chaotic and unpredictable behavior of our mayor that leads to confusion and misinformation. This team, mostly strangers only months ago, remains united in our commitment to honest and transparent accountability to the citizens of Kamloops. The prepared statement also took time to address a number of false claims made by the mayor about council. No councillor you see before you today has ever expressed a desire to be, quote, relieved of our workload. No councillor has ever expressed that they were, quote, kind of overwhelmed. No chair has shown any, quote, lack of commitment or has any conflict. No committee has only, quote, two or three meetings booked for a whole year. Nor are we making changes to the de job description to, quote, relieve the deputy mayor of some duties. These While council is opposed to the unilateral changes made by the mayor, he is well within his power to do so. However, CAO David Trawin noted that council does have the ability to alter the committee terms of reference if they please. Council also determines the terms of reference. You know, the mayor can, can determine who's on the committee. He can right now determine the chair, but council can, as a whole, can change the terms of reference. Council can set the number of committee meetings they have in a year. Council can also set and determine whether the committee even actually makes recommendations to council or just feeds information up to council. Trawin stated that in the past, citizens have been added to committees in Kamloops through an open application process. Council did not object to who was placed onto the new committees, but how the process played out. In addition to disrespecting council, our great unease is primarily with the lack of an equitable application process, indifference for due diligence and best practice, a disregard for the impact to sensitive community partner requests, an absence of reassurance around confidentiality, and the neglect of unbiased vetting. The councillors are calling for a special meeting of the council to be held on Tuesday to address the issues relating to the committee changes. Michael Reeves, CFJC News. Workers at a sawmill in Merritt are frustrated with the province for not signing off on permit applications to harvest more trees. <laughs> Members of the community joined employees of Aspen Planers to voice their concerns at a rally on Friday. More than three months ago, the sawmill announced a three-week shutdown of its operations in Merritt. Without a steady supply of timber, Aspen Planers is running one shift only with half of its 150 employees laid off. We just want to go to work. You know, government should do what they need to do, figure it out, issue the permit so we can go to work. It affects certain things such as fuel and uh, tires and groceries because people are looking after their families. When this kind of thing starts to happen, everybody pulls back and holds on. So we're seeing that now with this shutdown. This is our last mill in this community. The province says it is actively working with local First Nations and Aspen Planers on the issuing of permits. Another tense weekend for Fraser Valley Transit riders as bus drivers double down on their plan to begin strike action as of Monday. All bus service in the Fraser Valley is expected to come to a halt with the exception of Handy Dart, Essential Services in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Mission, Agassiz, Harrison and Hope. The union representing the workers says it is looking for wage parity with Coast Mountain drivers along with a pension plan and improved working conditions.
The strike is happening uh, Monday 1st, unless we get a, a deal. And we're open to talks. I mean, the employer says they're open to talks, but really they only want to talk about uh, anything except for dealing with the wage disparity and uh, the lack of a pension. Um, but we're always we're always ready to talk. If we can get a deal prior to Monday, it's it looks unlikely. Um, but if we can, then that's really the only way. Workers have been without a contract since April of 2020. Abbotsford police are investigating a serious crash that left live wires down across a major intersection at Townline and Marshall Road this morning. At around 8.30, fire crews and police were called to a two-car crash that knocked over hydro poles and downed wires. The vehicle's occupants had minor injuries. They were told to stay in their cars until BC Hydro crews could get on scene. An investigation is ongoing with speed and distracted driving being considered as factors. Victoria police are appealing for witnesses after thousands of dollars worth of damage was done to electrical panels in Royal Athletic Park. Police say about $5,000 worth of wiring, junction boxes and breakers were damaged in the park between 10 p.m. on March 7th and 6 p.m. on March 8th. The early investigation indicates the damage may be caused by people attempting to tap into the power. Police are asking anyone with information or surveillance footage to come forward. It's been a busy month for members of the Columbia Valley Search and Rescue team. On its Facebook page, Columbia Valley Search and Rescue posted about three recent incidents, including one call out for an ice climber who died after falling nine meters last week. The climber fell at the Gibraltar ice climbs near Canal Flats on March 9th. CV SAR was also called to a pair of snowmobile rescues last weekend, both in the Forster area west of Radium Hot Springs. The injured snowmobilers were taken to Invermere by helicopter and on March 1st CV SAR responded to that deadly avalanche that killed three German tourists near Panorama. Coming up a first world problem that's become a big nuisance. It just all of a sudden was like this insane barrage of like deliveries kind of within a really short period of time. Dozens of unwanted food delivery orders arriving on the doorsteps of a new Westminster neighborhood. What's behind what could be dubious deliveries plus? Shock, anger, sadness, a uh, wide range of emotions for sure. Tributes pour in for two police officers killed in the line of duty. The latest from a city in mourning, one province east tonight. That's coming up. Regimental funeral plans are still being made for two Edmonton police officers killed in the line of duty this week. In the meantime, as Morgan Black reports, Edmontonians and Albertans are gathering to grieve and work through an almost unthinkable tragedy. It's a quieter scene at the Baywood apartment Saturday, but neighbors who live here are still navigating police tape and an active crime scene. There is a police presence still here as officers continue to investigate the fatal shootings of two constables. Overnight Thursday, constables Travis Jordan and Brett Ryan were shot and killed while responding to a domestic violence call in Inglewood. A concerned parent having a difficult time with her 16-year-old son. Police say the two constables met the 911 caller, a 55-year-old woman outside the building, but they never made it into the unit. The woman fought to get the gun away from her son and then she was shot herself. Then the teen turned the gun on himself. That woman remains in hospital. Police saying Friday she was not responsive. We asked for an update on her condition Saturday, but AHS did not provide one. 
Neighbor Chris Peterson lives here with his wife and daughter. He says he's watched the scene for the last few days, noticing small changes like shattered windows replaced, but he still feels unsettled. I was like shaken and I'm still feeling numb, but yeah. I just, and the thing is I keep getting reminded every time I look out the, the back door because the buildings are so close together that I'm just like, wow, okay. And earlier Saturday, the Inglewood Community League invited neighbors to come together, creating a space for people to talk and share their feelings about what happened here. Morgan Black, Global News. The line of duty deaths of Constables Brett Ryan and Travis Jordan have had a deep impact in Edmonton and right across the country. And for many, the impact of the loss has only just begun to sink in. Here's Nicole Stilger. Candles and flowers lay in front of the West Division Police Station, honoring Constables Brett Ryan and Travis Jordan, killed early Thursday morning while responding to a call. Signs in front of the detachment read, EPS Strong, we love you. Loved ones still processing this devastating loss. Shock, anger, sadness, uh, wide range of emotions for sure. Darcy Carter worked with Ryan as a minor hockey referee. They met 15 years ago. His impact is going to be lost in terms of you know, his mentorship to young officials and just his friendship with some of our senior referees that we have. We're, we're a pretty tight-knit group and um, his loss is, is pretty, pretty rough on our group right now. Carter says they last spoke Wednesday in a group chat with other officials, coordinating travel for an out-of-town game. The last thing that he said in that group message was uh, he called shotgun. Jordan grew up in Nova Scotia. A friend from out east tells Global News he was an incredible person who always wanted to help others, calling him a role model. Now the province is stepping up with support for the slain officers' families. One of the things that we have to support families is our Heroes Fund. We brought that in in 2020. So the families will get $100,000 each to be able to help with the costs associated with having to deal with this horrible tragedy. Financial support continues to grow online too. In just 48 hours, a GoFundMe set up by the Edmonton Police Foundation has raised nearly $250,000. And a second one organized by the Alberta Paramedic Association in support of Ryan's wife, who is a paramedic, is close to $30,000 as of Saturday afternoon. Ryan himself was a paramedic before he became a police officer. These are police officers. They were killed in the line of duty, but they're people too. And that's what some people are missing. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Coming up, funding fight for a life-changing treatment. I've been taking medications for many, many years, over 30 years now. And I really would rather not be taking pills daily. A breakthrough in the treatment of HIV, long approved for use in Canada, but not for funding by this province. Plus, hope is almost gone by now, but it's you just you can't conceive of a thing like that. So you just wait and to confirm. An agonizing wait for answers in a fatal fire in Montreal that appears to be much deadlier than initially thought. That's after the break. In Quebec, fire officials now say at least six people are still missing following a horrific fire in Old Montreal. Investigators initially believed only one person was missing following the fire on Thursday, but there was confusion as to how many people were in the building at the time because several units are short-term rentals. More than 120 firefighters fought the five-alarm fire in the three-story building in the city's historic district. Nine people were hospitalized with minor injuries. The cause of the fire is still under investigation as the search for the missing continues.
In light of last month's devastating earthquake in the Middle East that killed tens of thousands of people, federal officials have announced new steps to help support Turkish and Syrian immigrants who are temporary residents of Canada. Effective March 29th, they can apply for an extension of their status free of charge and an open work permit pathway will be made available to them. Ottawa is also waiving the requirement of a passport or travel document for those looking to get a permanent resident visa to come to Canada. People who have been impacted will benefit from special treatment in their application to come to receive temporary protection in Canada, including the family members of people who are here. Uh, for those who apply for a temporary residency visa, we will be able to treat their, pro their uh, TRV application with priority processing and special measures that we're implementing internal to our system to provide guidance to our officers to facilitate the approval of their cases so they can come to Canada and receive Canada's protection. It was approved for use in Canada in March of 2020, but a long-acting injectable HIV treatment is still not covered for funding under BC's public health care system. And as Kristen Robinson explains, advocates say it's high time to change that. Living with HIV has been a long journey for George Astakisic. It's stressful. I've been taking patients for many, many years, over 30 years now, and I really would rather not be taking pills daily. AIDS Vancouver has launched a campaign asking the BC government to approve an alternative. The long-acting injectable therapy, it says, is already covered in other provinces. Cabanuva was approved by Health Canada three years ago. The treatment allows patients living with HIV to maintain viral suppression through an injection up to 12 times a year. It would be a game-changer, AIDS Vancouver says, for people like Astakisic, who would not have to worry about navigating a daily regimen of pills and the side effects that come with it. So many other parts of Canada have been able to make this possible. Uh, and as a leader in HIV care and treatment for so many years, we don't really understand why that's not happening here in BC yet. When asked at an event Friday why the provincial government has not approved the HIV injectable therapy under public health coverage, Health Minister Adrian Dix said the work is being led by the BC Centre for Excellence in HIV AIDS. There will be access to such things in BC and it'll be done through the Centre for HIV AIDS. And that's the key aspect of what we're doing. So appreciate the comment from AIDS Vancouver. They know that we're going to lead on this issue for all of the people that need support and care. I think it would uh, lessen the time that I think about my HIV. In that way, I think it would be healthy for me emotionally, mentally. Physically. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, Yvonne and Barry join us with a look at weather and sports, plus a very happy ending for a local pooch who suffered unthinkable abuse. We've got an update on the turn of fate for a beloved BC dog that's after the break. You're watching Global BC. Welcome back and a heads up now if you plan on hiking on the North Shore this weekend and some places you'll want to avoid. The District of West Vancouver has closed one trail bridge and issued a warning about weight restrictions on another one in the Brothers Creek Loop. The 14 meter long Baden-Powell footbridge has been permanently closed after it was found to be rotting. Another bridge on that same trail known as the Crossover Bridge is showing signs of aging as well and can only handle two people at a time. Signs posted nearby 
July direct hikers to detour routes. There is no timeline for how long these closures will last. Well, hiking or not, it was a beautiful day to be enjoying the outdoors today on this first full weekend of daylight saving time. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at the forecast. Yvonne. Yeah, some of the warmest temperatures that we've seen into the double digits, especially away from the water. Beautiful shot right now uh, with temperatures currently sitting at 11 degrees and we've got a light wind out there at northwesterly at seven kilometers per hour. Wanted to show you a few of the and just a range, it's really away from the water. Even Abbotsford getting up to 18 degrees. Areas near Agassiz bumping up to 17. And Victoria, 15 is the high through the day today. And a few spots in towards the interior, double digits. Thompson, Okanagan between 12 and 14. And Lytton today even getting up to 16 degrees. Now, as we look ahead overnight and for our Sunday, we are going to see a bit more cloud cover in the mix. It should remain dry throughout much of the day. But we are going to see that change on the way. It'll likely be late tomorrow night and taking us in towards our Monday day that we are going to see that blip in the forecast with the potential for some showers. All courtesy of this frontal system and along the north and central regions of the province, we are going to be tracking that rainfall heavy at times. It'll likely intensify along the north coast as we get in through the day tomorrow. Now, I put the future cast into play. This is for Monday. Blip in the forecast. We're looking at the potential for some showers and similar for Tuesday, but it should start to ease off as we get in through the afternoon. So the beginning of Tuesday on and off showers and then a break once again through the afternoon and evening evening. Northern half of the province with wet and windy conditions. Prince Rupert up to seven. For the northeastern corners of the province, a bright spot. Sunny but chilly for the early morning hours with overnight lows down to minus nine. Prince George underneath a mix of sun and cloud. Much of the southern half of the province. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we've got dry conditions. A few areas for higher elevations could see some fog for the morning hours and then it'll dissipate. Thompson Okanagan once again into the double digits. Whistler will see cloud cover with highs up to nine. For the afternoon, the northern and reg western regions of the island will be looking at an increase in cloud cover. A chance of showers could pop up as early as the afternoon, but then most areas across the island still remaining dry with Victoria cloudy and highs up to 11. Range in temperatures tomorrow between 13 away from the water, still up to 15 degrees. Double digits in the coming days, but that blip in the forecast looks to be on our Monday spring equinox. We'll officially welcome it towards the evening hours. Tuesday late in the date should dry out and then a bright spot once again will be in our Wednesday back into some sunshine before the rain moves in late day Wednesday and in towards our Thursday. Sarah? Okay, love those double digits. Still getting used to them. Thanks so much, Yvonne. To a very happy update now from the BC SPCA on a dog you might remember rescued from horrific abuse earlier this year. Well, she's found her new forever home. Buttercup has been adopted out after recovering from surgery that saw her lose a leg. The yellow lab mix was found running loose in Comox last month with suspicious injuries. The SPCA says Buttercup had cuts across her face and somebody had taped her muzzle shut. One of her legs, which had healed incorrectly after being broken in two places, had to be amputated. Despite everything she's been through, Buttercup is a trooper and she will have a new dog sister in her new home on Vancouver Island. Oh, I'm glad to see it. Way to go, Buttercup. Aww. Always a smile, regardless. Yeah, That's know. why they're man's best friend, because they forgive. They really are. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, good to see you, Bear. Nice Busy night in sports guys. tonight as well. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. everyone's, everyone's playing tonight. The Canucks, like are, uh, Canucks and Whitecaps are both in L.A. Canucks play the Kings at 7. Whitecaps uh, play the Galaxy at 7.30. So we will tee uh, both of those up for you. Uh, Jack Rathbone, who a few years ago, uh, the Canucks really were touting as one of their next great young defensemen. Well, he's had a lot of trouble making it to the big team, mostly because of injuries. We'll have a story on Jack coming up as well. Okay, sounds good. Looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Thanks, nice both. to see we've got the blue memo. We're
Well yeah. matched. Just wanted to know, <laughs> I just wanted to know, Bear. I'm glad that we got in on that. Very coordinated. I like it. I think it looks fantastic. <laughs> Thank you both. We'll see you soon after the break. The growing mental health crisis impacting kids. I think that the pandemic really just dumped some gasoline on the mental health crisis uh, in young people. Why more Canadian children are struggling now than in the early days of the pandemic. The new data on a concerning trend of self-harm. That's after the break. Stay with us. The impacts of the pandemic on mental health are still being studied, but new research focusing on Canadian children has delivered some alarming new data when it comes to suicidal tendencies and kids. Catherine Ward now on a complex crisis. I think that the pandemic really just dumped some gasoline on the mental health crisis uh, in young people. Jake Ernst hears from young people regularly about the challenges they now face after COVID-19 changed the world. I am really concerned about the decline in friendship right now. Overall, kids are just having less and less connections. Canadian researchers are also concerned about trends they are seeing in emergency room visits for young people. More kids are struggling now than they were before the pandemic. Clinical psychologist Dr. Sherry Madigan and her team looked at data from 18 countries comparing numbers of ER visits from before the pandemic and then during, up to July 2021. While there was a 32% decrease in pediatric ER visits for any health-related reason during the pandemic, there was a 22% increase in children and adolescents going to emergency departments for suicide attempts and an 8% increase in visits for suicide ideation. We need to think really critically about prevention or more upstream supports so we can actually help optimize kids' mental health. There are also challenges for long-term support. There's research to suggest that only about a third of them get any type of services after they leave the emergency departments. While a recent study suggested the effect of the pandemic on global mental health was relatively limited, that study focused on clinical data and did not have fulsome data on children. So we had data on adolescents, but virtually none on children, so under 12 years old. But experts say that kids spent more time alone, and some studies indicate screen time doubled. We are seeing a lot of kids just go inward. And when we don't have practice, when we don't have exposure to practice, uh, as it maps on just with the current global climate, I think it's really decreasing their ability to handle and become resilient uh, in the face of stress. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. It is Brain Awareness Week, and researchers in the Okanagan took the public on a tour through a state-of-the-art lab at UBCO to give them a closer look at the importance of neuroscience. Jaden Wozni reports. Go, 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 People of all ages came out to UBCO on Friday, touring through 14 labs, learning all about the different types of brain sciences that students here are studying. From stroke research to the aging brain to the science of how you stay upright and balance and walk. There's tons of different brain brain activities and interactive activities going on in demonstrations. This is dynamite. That it's a device that's measure your hand muscle One PhD student researching neuromuscular aging demonstrating two tests that she uses focusing on the fine movements of the hand muscles and how the brain communicates with the muscles involved. We're using this test to compare between uh, older adults and younger, younger adults and between uh, male and female and disease population and healthy. In fact, researchers have found the more a person focuses on the muscle they want to move, the more strength and muscle memory will be gained. 
the brain uh, is where the signal originates, and it's what drives um, the systems beneath it in the uh, lower brain areas in the spinal cord to actually produce uh, muscle force. One visitor at Friday's event says he was amazed to see how advanced the neuroscience research department at UBCO is. Some of the different uh, experiments that they're doing and the tests that they're doing, um, even things like um, coordination, those types of things, I can see the application in medical practice down the road that this will develop in that, and I just found it uh, to be really quite interesting. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. After the break, Barry's back with a look ahead at a busy night in sports. Plus, hopefully, kind of gotten over that bridge just in terms of getting back into that rhythm of just playing a lot of minutes. A rising local hockey star's battle with injury on his journey to the big leagues, his hard fought battle to come back as a top prospect. That's after the break. Pink at Rogers Arena. Don't miss the critically acclaimed singer-songwriter on her Trust Fall tour alongside her new studio release. Sing along to new hit singles as Pink explores the highs and lows of uncertainty, freedom, and letting go. This November, see Depeche Mode coming to Rogers Arena. See the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees as they embark on their colossal 75-date Memento Mori tour ahead of their forthcoming album. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Welcome back. Okay, Barry's back. Big mm. night for the Canucks in L.A. tonight. Yeah, they've, they've mm. uh, played real well. The Canucks have the last couple of weeks. They've beaten some good teams, but this might be the best one they've mm. faced in a while. So we'll see how they do. Thanks, Sarah. The uh, Canucks will try to start a new winning streak tonight in L.A. against the Kings, who are one of the hottest teams in the entire league. L.A. is 15-3-3 in its last 21 games. They're just a point behind Vegas for first overall in the Western Conference. Kings also own the best home record in the West, so it'll be a good challenge for Rick Tockett's crew. We'll have all the highlights tonight at 11. Now, the Abbotsford Canucks host the Kings farm team, the Ontario Reign, tonight at 7 o'clock. Jack Rathbone will be playing in his 101st career AHL game, which spread over three years tells you he has missed a lot of game action. Most of that has been due to injuries, but Rathbone is healthy now, and the organization and Rathbone himself feel he is ready to take a big step in his development. Unfortunately for Jack Rathbone, this is the way he's made the highlight reel the past couple of seasons, suffering a couple of scary injuries that have kept him out of the lineup for long stretches and stunted his development. It's been a lot to deal with so early in his pro career. I've battled some adversity from that standpoint and um, hopefully kind of gotten over that bridge just in terms of getting back into that rhythm of just playing a lot of minutes. and. Um, not even thinking about that stuff. Rathbone's only played 30 games in the AHL this season, along with six with the NHL Canucks early in the campaign. But he has been healthy the past five weeks and is starting to find his game again. When he's been out, it's kind of stopped momentum for him. And then when he got back, it, it just takes a little bit of time to get those habits back. And it's not so much about the production. It's about defending. It's about managing the game being out there in key moments and being reliable and because uh, he has the tools and there's no better time to 
to show that than where we're at in the season and the types of games we're playing. Rathbone is undersized for a defenseman, just 5'10", 175, about the same as Quinn Hughes. And with the acquisition of Ethan Bear and Philip Ronick, finding a spot with the big club just got tougher. He's got the offensive skill, but it's the other parts of the game that must improve for him to get his shot in Vancouver. I think a lot of those things that they're talking about just positioning-wise are, are reads for me. And um, I think the more hockey you play, the, the better you'll be in terms of those reads being able to be a little bit quicker and um, a little bit more efficient. Rathbone's hoping a strong finish to the regular season and a strong playoff run with Abbotsford will get him back on track to be the top prospect the Canucks were hoping for when they signed him three years ago. NHL today, Oilers and Kraken from Seattle. Edmonton a point up on Seattle in the standing. Second period, Connor McDavid. Beautiful setup for Evander Kane, who rifles home his second of the game. 3-1 Oilers, now 3-2. It's McDavid again. Speed down the uh, right wing and then tees it up for Zach Hyman, who scores his 30th of the year. First time Hyman's ever reached the 30-goal plateau in a season. It's 4-2, but Seattle made it close. Again, Edmonton. Regains the two-goal lead. Dreisaitl, great long backhand pass to Spring Kane on the two-on-one. Zips the hat-trick goal past Martin Jones. Kane's parents made the trip from Vancouver to watch their son play. He put on a show. Kane up to 13 goals in only 29 games played this year. But he's a big difference maker when he's in the lineup. Then McDavid with his 58th of the year. He's got 134 points. Oilers win 6-4. They're now three up on the Kraken in the Pacific Division. Jets and Predators, Nashville chasing Winnipeg for the final playoff spot in the West. Third period, the Jets were down a goal, but they tie it from the faceoff. Adam Lowry cashes the rebound of the Josh Morrissey point shot, ties it at two. We need overtime and NOT. Jets on the move. Pierre-Luc Dubois centers to Neil Pionk, who tips it home. And the Jets get a big two points, 3-2 over Nashville. Jets now lead the Predators by five points. The Whitecaps are in L.A., just like the Canucks, to face the Galaxy tonight. Vancouver has just one point through three MLS matches this young season. Galaxy also winless in two and have only scored one goal. So the Whitecaps can show they are a quality side with a big road win tonight. 7.30 kickoff in L.A. highlights tonight at 11. FA Cup quarterfinals from the Etihad, Man City and Burnley. It took uh, City a while to get going, but once they did, they were unstoppable. Starts with the big Norwegian, Erling Holland pokes it past the keeper on the dead run. It's 1-0, and then two minutes later, City on the attack again, and it's Holland once again finishing with his left foot for such a big guy. He's got speed and great touch around the net. Second half, Holland completes his sixth hat trick of the season, converts after the first shot hit the post. City pile on for a 6-0 win. They advance to the FA Cup semis. The other three quarterfinals go tomorrow. Women's World Curling Championships opening today in Sweden. Canada represented by Kerry Anderson for a fourth straight year. Canada taking on the host Swedes who were up 4-3 in the ninth. Sweden looking to draw for one, but skip Anna Hasselberg wrecks on the guard, so it's a steal of two for Canada. They led 5-4, 10th end. Canada lying four. Once again, Hasselberg needing a draw, but obviously bothered by that last draw in the ninth. Woefully short there, a steal of four. So a nice win for Canada, 9-4 in their opener over Sweden. 
World Cup ski cross from the Blue Mountains near Collingwood, Ontario. Men's final, it's Calgary's Brady Lehman who's the one to watch. He's in the blue bib. He's got the lead and he's going to take this one all the way home. Takes the gold medal in his final World Cup race. He announced his retirement earlier in the week. What a way to go out. Cultus Lakes, Reese Howden was ninth today, but he wrapped up the Crystal Globe as the season champion. Whistler's Marielle Thompson won silver in the women's race. World Cup moguls from Kazakhstan and the continued brilliance of Canada's Michael Kingsbury. We take for granted he will win almost every time, and he does. He did it again today. Dual moguls final, won the final event of the World Cup season, capturing his third Crystal Globe of 2023 in the process. The 30-year-old from Quebec beat uh, Walter Wahlberg in the final to clinch the season title. Kingsbury's 30 years old now, but man, no signs of slowing down. He is amazing. NBA tonight, Raptors and Timberwolves. Toronto still battling to make the playoffs with just a dozen games to go in the regular season. First half, OG Ananobi with the drive, slams it down and the foul. 66-58 Toronto at the half. Late third quarter, Pascal Siakam, beautiful spin move. Lays it in, Toronto by nine after three. And then in the fourth, Gary Trent Jr., is going to stop and pop and count it. Fouled as well. Raptors get a big win over the Timberwolves. 122-107. Toronto now 35-36. and They're ninth in the East in a playoff spot. The top 10 get in. And PGA Tour stop is the Valspar Championship near Tampa Bay. Jordan Spieth with the approach at the 16th. That one nestles to about four feet. Jordan made that birdie. He is at seven under par. He is tied second. He is chasing Adam Shank, who will finish his round with this great approach at 18. He would birdie that to take the solo lead at eight under. One better than Spieth and Tommy Fleetwood. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor is uh, the only Canadian who made the cut, tied 20th at two under. And we've been following the women's volleyball at uh, UBC all weekend. The uh, semifinals are going on now. Trinity Western is uh, taking on Dalhousie in one, and they lead 1-0. UBC plays nice. in the semi later. So in a perfect world, UBC and Trinity will meet in the final tomorrow. But we'll have highlights at 11. That would be awesome. Looking forward to that. Coming up, a first-world problem that a lot of us would like to have. We'll explain after the break. Well, most of us eagerly anticipate food deliveries coming to our doors, a pricey convenience that has exploded in popularity during the pandemic. But how about getting multiple deliveries in a day, for several days, that you didn't ask for and for no apparent rhyme or reason? That is exactly what's been happening in a new Westminster neighborhood, and it's leaving some people fed up instead of well-fed. Here's Travis Prasad. I had two delivery drivers show up at the same time at my home with, with mitts full of bags. Look no further than Jennifer Hughes's front gate to see her food delivery dilemma. We've received about 30 deliveries in kind of the course of a week. Here's just a few of them. Fast food ordered through the Uber Eats app, but not by Hughes. All of it has someone else's name written on it. On kind of our community Facebook group, I was like, what is happening? Is anybody else dealing with this? Turns out lots of people in this new Westminster neighbourhood have been getting unwanted food drop-offs for the last two weeks. Some orders are supersized, like 10 bags of McDonald's. Others are small, like a single order of gravy. None of the receipts have contact information for whoever's making the orders. Hughes has tried calling Uber Eats for answers, but can't get through to anyone. She also called the police, but they too were puzzled. 
They said that sometimes stolen credit cards can be used to uh, test that they are still active, and that's what people are doing. But it didn't seem to make any sense because it was fairly consistent. Residents say the worst of it happened on Thursday with a constant flow of delivery drivers. There was a lineup down the street in front of our house. I just sat on my porch and talked to the drivers as they were, as they were dropping them off. And uh, yeah, I think, I think we got six deliveries in about half an hour. Unwanted food orders are also being delivered to a neighborhood in Los Angeles. According to the LA Times, Uber has taken action against multiple accounts there. And it appears the company is doing the same here in New Westminster. In a statement to Global News, an Uber spokesperson says we have banned accounts related to recent orders and will not hesitate to take additional action if the unsolicited orders continue. Uber has a dedicated public safety team that is standing by to work with police. It's kind of amusing and something to talk about on day one. If it goes on for months, it's, it's awful and it's a huge waste of food. Whether it's someone's idea of a prank or something more sinister, residents say... They're fed up. Travis Prasad, Global News. Mm, a lot of McDonald's. Indeed. I think they're trying to get rid of those new uh, chicken Big Macs because they're, <laughs> they're not selling. Send them here to Global <laughs> <laughs> Okay, quick look at weather before we go. Uh, we have a bit more cloud cover through the day tomorrow. It should remain dry. And then a blip in the forecast looks to be on Monday. We're welcoming the spring equinox uh, officially towards the evening hours. And then we've got a bit of a break in between systems on Wednesday. So we'll look for those bright spots, but we're still seeing those temperatures into the double digits. Hey, that's right, last day of winter tomorrow. Okay, yeah. that's all for us this evening. Thank you for being with us. We leave you with highlights from this year's Celtic Fest from downtown Vancouver. See you back here at 11. Good night.